This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. Amen. I'm going to invite Brian and Steve up here too. Well, good morning, guys. Today's going to be a little bit different. This is a, I love mornings like this. Um, we had got the text yesterday that my, my dad was going to be preaching, and he, uh, he has contracted the flu. And so we uh, got word that he wasn't going to be able to speak. And so I was telling, I was telling folks down at the altar this morning, so I, I actually love mornings like this where I kind of, we don't really have exactly, a, we don't have as defined of a plan. We don't have like a, you know, a well, well-written up sermon. And so in a lot of ways, it's come before the Father and saying, hey, Lord, like, I trust that you are not surprised by somebody getting the flu. So will you do a work in us this morning? I had a conversation with a good buddy of mine recently who was given an opportunity to kind of have a, a, a stage that a lot of people would be jealous of. And he said he was having conversations with the, some, uh, some, you know, some people that would be held in high regard by our culture. And they, they told him, they said, you know, what I love about you is, he said, we got to where we were because we hustled, because we tried real hard. Now, there's some favor and some blessing from the Lord, obviously. But they said also it was because we really hustled. And he said, you're here just because the Father did a work in you that only he could do. And my buddy told me that. And I said, man, Lord, like, I want that to be our stories. I don't know if you all recognize this, but probably the prayer that is prayed, at least the one that I find myself praying most often um, over the course of the week, over you guys as a community, over our city as a whole, over the work that we believe the Lord wants to do in Lexington at the University of Kentucky. The primary prayer that we pray is, God, do not do something so small that people would be tempted to blame us for it. Do something sizable enough that there is no doubt that it was you who did it. Do something God-sized. And then put an insistence in our heart to not be willing to settle for less than that. To do something God-sized. So we were talking uh, this past week, we are talking about just like the way that the Lord has done a unique work here at Com City and the, the vision that he lets us carry. And we recognize that there's lots of things we can do, but there's a few things that we must do. And we're going to, we started talking about some vision statements that we make on a regular basis here, and we made some that we want to make more often. And at the end of every service, there's always the same conclusion. Somebody gets up here at the end, commissions you to go, and says, be sent and spent well for the sake of the gospel. We were talking this week and realized, man, we haven't really explained in a lot of detail why we say that. And so to be sent and spent well for the sake of the gospel. So I'm going to hand it off to Brian. I was going to ask you, why do you think it's important that we end every service with that commissioning? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, w- it was kind of interesting as we were talking about this this week because I feel like um, it's such a sweet statement. It's a statement that um, I don't even know when we started saying it initially, um, but it's been cool because I feel like it encompasses our heart um, and what we want for you guys, what we want for ourselves. and. Uh, the verse that kind of came to mind, and I think half of the statement is kind of birthed out of, is 2 Corinthians 12, 15. And if you have your Bibles, you can, you can turn there. 
but I was just reviewing this passage because it's a passage where Paul is is being accused. He's 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 rebutting this accusal that's been going on that he's he's um, in the ministry for for money or for what he can get, and he's refuting this and he's saying, listen, in verse fourteen and fifteen of chapter twelve, he says. Here I am for the third time. I'm ready to come to you. And I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save it for their parents, but parents for their children. He's speaking of their spiritual immaturity there. And he says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. And so I was just I was thinking about that in regards to the, the spent aspect of what we say. Because we modify that a little bit and say, be sent and spent well. And so in regards to just what it means to be spent well, and I think what I realized here and what Paul was getting at is that it costs us something. Like we serve a Savior that it cost him his life in order for him to purchase us and redeem us. And he calls us to be spent because it's, it cost him and it costs us. It costs us to live for him. And Paul is kind of getting at that here. And it's interesting because I realized he's not, like he's not just saying, I'm not in it for the money. He's saying, and he's, and he's not just saying, I'm in it for the fruit that you bear. He's saying, like, I'm in it for you. I'm in it for your souls, for, the spiritual, for their spiritual benefit. And I think about that in regards to just us as a community and what it means to be spent for one another and what it means to be spent for the sake of Christ and, you know, it, Paul is clearly saying that it's not about what I can get. It's not, you know, I don't give to get. I don't serve to be served. But rather, I do that for the facial expression of heaven. And it's interesting because he follows this up in verse 15. And, he's, and there's, there's a little bit of hurt here, I think, because he says, I will most, or he says, but granting, sorry, I lost my place. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? And I think there's a little bit of a hurt there. But it's interesting because he, it doesn't seem like he's then resenting the fact that he's having to be poured out for them. Like his, his love is trumping that. Like he wants to be, he's still for them. And I was a little convicted when I was, because the question came to me was like, just to, as a metric for why, why do I serve and why do I give of myself? Is it, is it for what I can get? And I felt like the good metric for that was, how do I respond when it's underappreciated or, you know, when, when I'm not acknowledged for what I give and what I, what, you know, or for what I, the way I've served. And, you know, the sad thing is sometimes it, it, that metric shows like the reality of my heart is that I am, I am serving to get something. I am giving to get something. And, and so as I thought about this statement, I just thought, Man, it's, it's a sweet reminder like, that we are to be poured out, that we are to be spent well, that we are like, we're, we're to seek the facial expression of heaven. And so when we make that statement, it's a reminder to each of you, it's a reminder to us that we are to be poured out, we are to be spent well for the sake of Christ, and to, to also that exhortation to guard ourselves and to recognize like, Man, if I find myself being resentful for what I'm giving or what, how I'm serving, then there's that I need to check my heart and make sure that, you know, what am I, am I going after the facial expression of heaven or is there a selfish motive there? Am I wanting praise? Am I wanting to be appreciated? Um, 
And so, yeah, I think that's what came to mind in regard to that. Thanks, man. The other scripture you're going to see up there is kind of the other part of that. So be sent and spent for the sake of the gospel. So Brian talked about what it meant to be spent, but to be sent from John 17. If you spend much time with us as a community, you will find yourself being reminded and invited into the beauty of John 17 on a pretty regular basis. It's the final prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden before he gave his life for us. And in Gethsemane, this is what he prayed to the Father. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. As you are just as equally sent as the Son of God himself. Now I know, I know none of you were likely born in a manger. Very, very unlikely that any of you had angelic visitations and shepherds at your bedside in the hospital room. Very unlikely. But you are no less sent than Jesus himself. I know that none of you in here died on a cross for the salvation of the world, but you are no less sent. You are no less sent than the Son himself. Which is a pretty wild, like the verbiage that Jesus chooses to use, to me, when I read it, if it wasn't sitting there in Scripture in red letters, I would be like, ooh, that seems a little far-fetched. But it's not. Because the one thing the Son of God never did was exaggerate. Never. And if we find it in the text of God's word, then you are as sent as the Son himself. So Steve, what do you, what's that, when you hear be sent and spent well for the sake of the gospel, what's it make you think? One of the passages that <clears throat> just has meant so much to me and I think just embodies this to help me see in a very tangible way. Um, because I think some of the times these phrases can become so way up here and we want to believe them, but sometimes, how do we do this practically? I mean, how does this affect today? And so um, I love the story of the Emmaus Road and how uh, Jesus um, helped a couple of disciples. He met them personally in a very special way. And so it's just, it's a great story to read. I love it. It's in Luke chapter 24. If you'd like to turn there or study it at some point in time. And so... It starts in verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that they had taken place. And while they were discussing it and arguing, um, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. And see, I think that's the beauty of it. Because one of the phrases that, as you were referring to, was this sent and spent, is that we're going to have to do this together. This is about relationship. And so, therefore, um, one of those phrases that I just, just continues to work on my heart is life on life. Now, when I first started hanging around um, uh, Kurt and Andrew and, and trying to understand and some of these phrases um, that they were using very naturally, <laughs> one of the questions by Beth and I said, what do you mean? We just thought, what do you mean life on life? I mean, we go to worship. In fact, I'm a pastor many years before that. And, and so, um, but this is discipleship. Well, yeah, we've been doing discipleship. But what does it mean to do life on life? Well, <clears throat> God could have sent from heaven 
a book and just said, read it. Well, he does. But he says, now live it together. And so, therefore, when we place our lives next to each other in a very intentional way, and we can do this in different ways, then something transforms us, and that's him and by his spirit. And so the passage continues on. I think it's so great. And then so what's happening is these disciples are arguing, but by the end, they are amazed and their hearts are burning with fire. <laughs> and sometimes I find life is like that. It's just how beautiful it is, is that while we're on the road, if we intentionally place our lives next to each other, and, um, and so what happens here is that in this passage, um, Jesus says, what things he asked them, So, because they were arguing about these things, he said, and the, these things coming, Jesus of Nazareth, who's a prophet, and how our chief priests and leaders hand him over to be sentenced to death and crucified. Um, and so moreover, some of our women uh, astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and they didn't find his body, and they came and reported they had seen a vision of angels, and he had said, he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found just as the women had said. And he said to them, how unwise and slow you are to believe in your hearts that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? The beginning of Moses and all the way through the prophets, he interpreted and he showed them the scriptures to help them understand why things happened and that they needed to happen. And now um, something else was going to happen. And so, um, as he was, as it says here in verse 28, they came near the village where they were going, and he gave impression that he was going further down the road, but they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over, so he went to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them, and he took the bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he dis disappeared from their very sight. So they said to each other, weren't our hearts ablaze within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those who had with gathered together who said, the Lord has certainly been raised and has appeared to Simon. And they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. I just really see it as a beautiful picture. After this, what did they do? Did they just sit there and say, oh, that was so great. Let's have a kumbaya moment here. <laughs> no. They immediately got up and went back another seven miles to Jerusalem. <laughs> so in that moment, they were sent and they took that opportunity to go back to the people that they love. Because I think a part of this sentence spent is not only to a lost world, but it's to ourselves. It's to our friends, our family. Um, I don't know, this idea of life on life, we cannot do this alone. It's not meant to be alone. Um, so I was thinking about, again, sent and spent beyond just kind of that as kind of an overarching theme for us, but then how different aspects of the vision plays out for us within our community. 
and there's a life on life aspect. And I was thinking, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to also neglect that there's a next generation piece to this. And, you know, you're, you're probably thinking, oh, well, that makes sense. You're, you're the kind of elder over family in next generation ministry. But it's like, no, that it, God has given me a heart for that. Obviously, he calls all of us to be spent. And we're all called to be missionaries. Um, the saying, I can't remember exactly who said it, but we're all, you know, every Christian is a missionary or an imposter. And so that realization that we're all sent um, and we're all called to be spent. But, you know, a lot of the vision of this church um, has an aspect of that, that being sent and spent is for the next generation that God is blessing us with as a community. And a lot of that's rooted in, in Psalm 78 and the scriptures that talk about the glorious deeds of the Lord and making his wonders known and his commands known to the next generation that they would set their hope in God. And, you know, we, we put a lot of effort and we, we spend, we, we're spent a lot of effort and um, just as a community um, for the next generation. But I thought about a couple dangers as I just thought about an exhortation both to families and to to couples without kids or singles in this room and just to us as a community because I feel like, you know, once you have, once you have a child and, you know, there's been a lot of babies born in the last few years, God just continues to, to bless this community with children. And it's easy. I find myself as, you know, when I was first a father, like God just changes your heart so much for your family, for your kids. But I mean, there, there's a spent aspect of that because I feel like what I mean is it's easy as a parent and to get into the to rut of family life as your kids grow. You, got, you, you kind of lose focus in the sense of you're focusing on activities and sports and education. And it's easy. There's a danger there and a pitfall where you fall into um, neglecting the heart. And so the spent aspect of you know, focusing on the next generation, especially as, as a parent, um, is, is making sure that you're being intentional. Um, and if you're being intentional, you will feel it. It, it is costly, and it, it is this feeling of being spent for the sake of, of your family. But the danger side of that is then um, neglecting to the, the Great Commission aspect of that to being sent to your neighbors and being sent to your coworkers. And that's a pitfall that I can fall into and forget that I also need to disciple my children into to being light um, to their classmates and to their friends. And um, so there's kind of both sides of that. Does that, does that kind of make sense? And I, I think then the flip side of that is a lot of times I'm thinking about when I was younger and before I was married and feeling the Lord call me to my classmates at school or to my coworkers, and I was a lot more focused on that, but there was almost zero focus on the next generation. And so there's, there's the danger of that because God does call us as a community and as singles and individuals to also disciple the next generation. It's like those are the ones that are among us, and, you know, heaven forbid that we would neglect them. Um, but I think there's some beautiful aspects of that, that like he gives each of us passion and he gives each of us zeal and he gives us, he puts us in different ministry opportunities and different seasons of life where, um, you know, one of us might be passion for, to go to the ends of the earth and another is passionate about bringing the gospel to, uh, to, to University of Kentucky and, and another is zealous to, to, for the next generation and for children. 
Um, and so the God, God kind of weaves us together in that, and I think that's a beautiful aspect of the scent and being spent. Just to let you all know, something that we put before um, our, particularly our elders, anytime we're making decisions, we always ask the same question. What will the leaders of Commonwealth City Church and kingdom leaders in the city of Lexington be grateful that we did 100 years from now? We ask that constantly. Like, what is, what is wisdom going to look like? Best we can perceive as we do, how, do the best we know how to walk in the Spirit, to seek His guidance and direction, and just to look ahead with wisdom. What will leaders 100 years from now be grateful that we've done? Um, the last thing that I want to talk about just with being sent and spent well for the sake of the gospel, the reason we keep reiterating that every week is because we really believe we really believe, guys, that we are we're good getting better people in a bad getting worse world. We are light in a dark place. We're going to see it here a little more clearly in Romans 12 here in just a second. But we, we also believe that like it's not just here, not just in those that we're directly connected to. I found out very beginning of, I think it was probably right before Com City got to come and begin gathering here a little over six years ago, statistics came out about the giving patterns of the modern American church. And um, the, at the average American church of all the unreached, unengaged peoples in the world, that means that people have no access to the gospel. Um, a nickel out of every $1,000 in the average church budget would make it to unreached, unengaged peoples. One nickel out of every thousand dollars. I remember seeing that, and just it was the same year. I think it was David Platt that said it, and he said, actually, this year, Americans spent more money on Halloween costumes for their dogs than was given to ministry overseas, which, you know, obviously is a pretty glaring mental picture, mostly because of how offended I am by pets and clothing. I know, I know, a few of you, we are now in an abrasive state. I apologize. It's just where I'm at. I'm willing to let my heart change. Come talk to me after service. But I remember hearing that and thinking, man, like, Lord, how, how, can, I, how can I comfortably be part of that? Like, how can I, here I am, I, I'm called to shepherd in a context that is very first world. Like, what does it look like to invite a community to be different, to be light in a dark place, even as sometimes the dark place is the modern American church. And so I love, I get to celebrate today that uh, as of the end of the calendar year of 2023, uh, for the first time in a little while, Com City was able to give six figures to missions this year um, as a, a small community. You know, we'll go over, yeah, that was awesome. Whew. Hello, I love that. There's a community that yeah, we're... We're a small, younger church. Remember people telling us when we first planted, like, oh, man, don't, don't go down there and meet on campus because you're going to have a lot of young people, and young people aren't committed and they don't give. And I was like, so we just leave them hanging? Is that, like, the, your solution? You know, it was like, no, we believe that God wants to do a work and in, invite us as a community to do things differently, to stare at God's word and say, what would it look like? What would it look like to let the Bible jump off the pages into our daily lives? And so this year, you guys, um, us as a community, we got to give $113,000 
uh, to the cause of Christ globally, outside of our own context, not giving internally. Much of that going to unreached, unengaged people groups. I don't know if you all know this, but our third, the third highest paid staff member at Commonwealth City Church is a man who's only been inside of this room one time. His name is Guna Kumar. And Guna has been planting churches. I've gotten to see, probably visited about 80 of them throughout the nation of India and even on into some, um, some closed nations. And uh, I think he's now planted. Matt, you've been there recently. Was it like 2,400 was the last count? 2,400 churches that he's now planted um, in, South, in South Asia. And we've gotten to be a part. We just decided, like, let's pay him like a staff member even though he's on the other side of the world. And so uh, thank you guys. Thank you all for inviting even us as leaders to, for being accountability to us, to always call us up, um, to call us into more. So uh, guys, thank you all so much for spending time with me up here. I'll see you next service. <laughs> but now, now I get to, to kind of conclude our time. Um, my dad was going to preach today. Him being sick, he sent me a sermon notes. And uh, I told people, I'm like, some of them, his notes made very little sense. Um, require, I, don't, I don't know what language it was written in. It wasn't a language that I'm, um, that I'm familiar with. Uh, all I know is at the very top, this is what it said. This afternoon, thousands of people who desperately need exercise will watch 22 men desperately in need of rest sweat profusely. <laughs> I got to be honest, I've been, I've been looking. I've been trying to think through how Romans 12 could get us there. I don't see it. I don't really see it. But uh, that was at the top of the notes. That's, and that was actually the highlight of his thoughts, unfortunately. So that's all right. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, but if y'all would, if y'all would, one thing we like to do in casting vision at Commonwealth City Church is to honor God's word. And we, one way that we love to do that is just something real simple. Um, um, people make fun of me sometimes. Anytime I pick up a Bible, I, always, I normally kiss it. I don't, I don't know why. I know it's weird. Normally makes, normal people don't even ask me, like, why'd you do that? They just think, eh, that was weird. But I just, I love to, finding simple, simple patterns of behavior in my daily life to honor the word of God and to remind me, to remind me of my submission to it and all the reasons I have to trust his word. One way we do that at Commonwealth City Church is by standing when we read the text of scripture to let you know these words are set apart from Kurt's words. These words are set apart from everyone else's words. So if you would stand to your feet, open to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, verses 1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, if the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. 
Jesus, guide us in our time. As we conclude here in a second, Lord, and we get to be invited to the table to remember your body, to remember your blood, as we're invited to the altar to spend time before you, I ask, Father, please, please do everything that is heavenly possible to make it incredibly difficult to walk out of here without having changed to look more like you. In your name, for your glory, amen. You may be seated. Romans 12, this week, um, what we had on, on our schedule, the next three weeks is going to be a little unique. On February 28th, we'll jump back into 1 Peter. We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 3, I believe it is. So at the end of, uh, we'll jump right back into walking through Peter's letter to the churches that were scattered abroad. But the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at some vision. And a lot of that's wrapped around um, what's going to happen in I think the last, in the third week of this month, which is when a group of people are going to stand before you that are our prospective deacon body. Ooh, now, deacons, some of you all are like, oh, that's awesome. And you have memories of your deacons from growing up at church. And some of you think, I don't know what a deacon is, you know. And guys, regardless of where you stand with understanding the historical model of church leadership, here's what I want to tell you. All we're asking, all we're asking all the time is, God, if, if Jesus came to Lexington, Kentucky. If he was called to live in 2024, instead of sandals and a robe, how would he dress? What would he do? What would he look like? What would he do? How would he spend his time? And if Jesus planted a church in Lexington, Kentucky, what would his church look like? That's what we've been asking. And I feel like the best answers to that question are not my ideas or something that we would come up with and a group think session around a whiteboard, the best answers to that question come from the Word of God. The three guys that were up here, me and Brian and Steve, are part of an elder body. This church does not have a pastor or a senior head or whatever. We're all just, we just led by an elder body. Elder happens to be the same word in the Greek as pastor, same word as shepherd, same word as overseer, same word as bishop. I tell people I would much prefer to be called Bishop Vernon, but uh, not a lot of people going for that, and I understand why. But... Uh, but it's all the same. It just means a shepherd, a leader, somebody that has been entrusted to shepherd the flock of God. And the way that God has ordained leadership in a community is that there are those that are vision casters and then there are those that are primary vision carriers. Those are the deacons. Those are the people that serve. And you all called out um, a few dozen people within our community. We just kind of invited you all to, um, to tell us who has served you well. Who is it that serves? And maybe, maybe we, some of the leaders know about it. Maybe they're so sneaky that we didn't even know. Call out, the, call out the servants among you. We did, and we've been walking through a book with them, walking through what it looks like to see deacon ministry through the lens of Scripture. And now in the next couple of weeks, we'll be unveiling that. And today was supposed to be a day to celebrate unity in the body in the way that deacons, we believe, are a means to that end. And as we talk about unity... Um, my dad had picked out Romans 12, partly because of what it looks like to have a variety of gifts. And, and here's the thing is we've walked through what it means to be a deacon, what it means to be. It's a word that just means a servant, a chief servant. For instance, the word deacon shows up in, the, in God's word when it talks about Jesus. And it says, the son of man came not to be deaconed, but to deacon and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the word there in the Greek. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. We recognize that in this room, there is a variety of gifts. 
There's a variety of people. There's going to be a group of people that are put here in front of you in a couple weeks that you have picked out to be servants. But I know, I know regardless of like who's up here, that God has called all of us. He has called all of us to serve. Romans 12 is a beautiful place to start, not just because of what it talks about at the end with a variety of gifts, but I love the way it begins. I urge you, brothers, I beseech you, some versions say. He's saying like, I implore. He's trying to say like, this next thing that I'm going to tell you, please understand that I'm saying it with intensity. This is the kind of thing where Paul's like, hey, this, everything else that I've said has been so good and so important. And Romans 1 through 11 is actually one of the most theologically dense sections of all of God's word. Concludes with this grand doxology of glory being given to God. And then a shift happens in the book of Romans. And in 12 verse 1, he says, now I urge you. I've just given you 11 chapters of a deep dive into the beauty of the mercy of God. And now I urge you with tears welling up in the corner of my eyes in view of the beauty of the mercy you just glimpsed. Give your body as a living sacrifice. Now we hear that and we think, yes, I want to, I want to be a person that gives my, I want to be a person that serves rather than think of how I can be served. But for that audience, that would have meant something a little different because their minds would have very likely gone to one man. One man that served in a unique way, a man named Isaac. And if you remember, Isaac was Abraham's son, and he was a son of promise. He was a son who came almost like um, Zachariah and Elizabeth in the story of the birth narrative of John the Baptist. He comes to people who are too old to have children. And God allows them to give birth to a son. He's the child of promise. And then God says the unthinkable. Kill him. I mean, even saying that out loud, I'm like, oh, I don't like this. He says, Abraham, take the son. And even when he tells him, he says, take the son, the son whom you love. Take him to a mountain and sacrifice him as an offering to me. Prove to me you love me more than anything this point, Isaac was not likely a child. He would have probably been around 30 years of age. So he had to go willingly. He carries the, the wood for the sacrifice up to the top of this mountain. And as many of you know, his sacrifice is interrupted. And God says, don't, don't kill the boy. Don't kill your son. He hears a ram that has been caught in a thicket by its horns. He kills it and gives it as a sacrifice and offering. But that story is just a down payment on the sacrifice that was to come. Not a ram in a thicket, but a lamb on a cross. Guys, set up there, you'll see it on your screen like that. The, the main point of this story, the main point of Romans 12 is to say, hey, no matter how you serve, no matter what you have to give, no matter what gifts and skill sets, you are Isaac. You are Isaac on an altar. Willingly laying your life down at an altar. Saying, take all of me. Whatever I got, I give you. 
I love the way it goes on. Paul says, I urge you, I implore you, in view of these mercies we just look at, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And then he says, this is your, some versions will say, this is your spiritual worship or your spiritual act of worship. Um, Really what he's saying is, this is the least you can possibly imagine doing when you remember his mercy. The fact that he would be willing to accept. Do you, do you realize this, guys? Like, we come and I sing these songs sometimes. Like, Lord, I give you all of my life. I've been singing this particular song to him lately. Just like, Lord, I give you my whole heart. And then sometimes in the middle of that, the Lord will remind me, like, why would that be of interest to me? Do you realize my heart, like my whole heart, you giving your whole self to the Lord should be the most offensive offering you can give? You know what Scripture says about our offering of our whole lives? He says that the best that we have to offer is filthy rags. My life as a living sacrifice should be offensive. But by the grace of God, but by the shed blood of Jesus that takes my sacrifice of my life and makes it worthy and desirable to the Father. It's your spiritual act of worship. It's the least you can do. And then he gives you some particulars. Here's how to do that. Don't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I love that word transformed. Y'all know I'm no Greek nor Hebrew scholar, but uh, I was looking up that word to transform, and it only shows up four times in all of God's word. Two times are about Jesus and two times are about you. Two times are about the transfiguration. They're stories from the Gospels. When his His body is transfigured and he is shown for who he really is in a glorified state in front of Peter, James, and John on top of a mountain. And the other two times are here in Romans 12 and in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And they're about you. Don't be conformed to the pattern of the world. But be a transfigured person. Be transformed. Live with a light that you borrow. It's not yours. You're not expected to come up with any kind of natural illuminance inside yourself. I don't think illuminance is a word. That's fine. Don't worry about it. Just use it in Scrabble anyway. You know, The Lord's not asking you to come up with anything inside yourself. He's saying, like, just, just take, borrow my light. Just borrow mine. Like, you've got gifts. That's great. But I gave those all to you anyway. Just give them back to me. Give it all to him. Was, uh, I was thinking about it this week, uh, what it means for us to be a people that give our whole selves. And my grand finale today is pretty simple. I had a really beautiful conversation with a, a four-year-old last week. I will not say who it was because he doesn't like it when I talk about him on Sunday mornings. But I had this really sweet conversation. He was asking me, um, he, said, he said, hey, Dad, does... Do you really like uh, <laughs> say, do you really like do you really like to give presents more than you like to get presents? I said, buddy, I do. He said, man, I really like to get them. I said, I know, but I know. I said, you know, don't, don't get me wrong, I like getting them too, but I do like giving them more at this point than I like getting them. And he said, maybe, maybe when I'm bigger, when I'm older, I like them. I said, buddy, no. Actually the vast majority of humanity still likes getting more than giving. That is actually the 
It's the condition of all humanity. Unless one thing happens. Unless you encounter the kind of grace that transforms you. And your mind changes. And when your mind changes, when you are transformed by the renewing of your mind, you will suddenly like giving more than getting, not because you're good, but because you'll begin to think with the mind of Christ. I was having that conversation. I was thinking about that this week. Man, what does it mean for us to be a people that really celebrate unity? And guys, I, I don't think there's any way of achieving real unity or displaying to a lost world the beauty of sacrificial love until you recognize this. You live in the middle of a culture of get. And you are invited to be part of a kingdom that gives. That's it. I, I don't know if there's anything that's going to make you stick out more in 2024. But the fact that you steward residency, at least for the time being, in the United States of America. And the fact that you are invited to be a person who gives in a culture of get. And the only way we do that is not by willing ourselves to do it. It's by asking him for it. My altar call today is going to be a kind of a revisiting of last week. Last week was awesome because I taught on Luke 11 for a little while. And then the Lord spent the next three or four days teaching me all the things I wished I would have said on Sunday. That happens sometimes when I preach. Like, if you all could just hear the way the sermon would have sounded by the next Wednesday, phew, your mind would have been blown. Instead, you're probably bored to tears. Sorry about that. But uh, I was telling the Lord, just walking through Luke 11, and I came to this really simple understanding. Luke chapter 11, verse 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Two phrases stick out. Two three-word phrases that I would invite you to take home with you. How much more? I love that. How much more will He give the Holy Spirit? How much more? I just wonder, like, what if it's not rhetorical? Like, what if I just, like, Lord, how much more you got? How much more? Ask him. How much more? And then the other three words that stuck out to me this week. Those who ask. I had this thought this week. The world elevates the ones who have all the answers. They've got a word that's ready and it's polished, it's prepared. But while the world exalts those who answer... The kingdom of power belongs to those who ask. The kingdom of power is about to wage war on the kingdom of talk. How sweet to not be under pressure to be the one with answers, but to be invited to simply be the one with questions. I invite you to take communion today. I invite you to respond however it is that the Lord compels you to. We're going to sing one more song. This altar is... Down here and ready. There's nothing holy or extra special about coming down to lay on a carpet, but there is something about giving yourself to a posture of submission that I think does a unique word when our body kind of begins to speak to our hearts and remind us what's most important. And so, if you would, if you feel so inclined, just to put yourself in a posture of submission, whether that's hands up or laid prostrate or down on your knees, it can be wherever you're at or up here at the front. My guys, like. 
He gives the Spirit to those who ask. And I just want to know, are you those who ask? And I don't mean that like, oh, yeah, generally. No, no, like for real, like, do you go days without asking for more of the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus didn't when he was here. And I don't want to while I'm here. And I don't think you want to be that kind of person. And I love that. It's so simple. It's like those who ask, not those who answer, not those who figure it out, not those who get the theology around asking for the Holy Spirit right. I hear Holy Spirit. My mind goes, wow, with all these different perspectives within the body of Christ about thoughts on the Holy Spirit and his workings and his giftings. And I'm like, no, I just, I just want to come like a child and be like, hey, I, Holy Spirit, I want more. And so I just want to know, are you one who asks for the Holy Spirit? And if you're not, are you willing to become one who asks for the Holy Spirit? Not later. Right now. Right now. Jesus is a think through what it means for me to be one of those people that asks. Like somebody who asks. I just want, Lord, I tell you this a lot in song, but I mean, I want as much of you as I can get. It's weird to me to even think about quantifying you. Like how much more? I'm like, what does that even mean? I don't, I don't know what the measuring tool would be. But Lord, I don't even care. I just, I want, I want you. I want you. And Lord, I know there's some people in here who are just immediately like, yes, I'm all in. I'm just going to ask for the Holy Spirit. And do it, Lord. Pour it out upon them in ways that still surprise them, even though they have high expectations for you. But then I know there's some in here who are hesitant whatever lack of faith, lack of unworthiness, whatever lie it is that pops in their head that would distract them from asking for more. And so, Lord, I'm just asking you today for those who are here and don't feel like they're ready to ask, may you at least give them the boldness to ask you to turn them into somebody who's willing to ask for more. Do it. Do it in all of us. In your name, for your glory. Feel free to respond by coming to receive communion, get into a posture of submission, however the Lord compels you to respond.